Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. G'day and welcome to the Ball Boys AFL Fantasy Podcast. Today we are interviewing a top 100 hat winner for AFL Fantasy, Mini Monk, breaking down all the hot topics for this season. Let's go. G'day and welcome again to the Ball Boys AFL Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Casey, and you can find me on Twitter at Ball Boys Fantasy. Joined, as always, by Luke. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good, mate. The, uh, the guys can find me on Twitter at LukeRojo17, and um, excited to be talking to someone that knows their shit today. Yeah, Normally exactly. I have to talk to you, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah n- none of this fluffy 124 hat nonsense down the front here. We've got, uh, we've got Mini, Monk, Mini, sorry, Mini Monk on the show today. Uh, a bit of a legend that's uh, emerged over the last 12 months. Uh, friend from the coaches panel uh, as well on the most uh, 50 most relevant uh, countdown, which has been a, a great listen to start the season. For sure, for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, really uh, knows his stuff. So welcome on the show, Mini Monk. Thanks for having me. And yeah, um, I don't have a hat that says 124 and I've got a hat that says 39 and I think <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> to, nice. say, to say as a legend is... Oh. I've had a, I had a good year, and hopefully I can back it up in the future. Mate, it's it's proper legendary status, and I, I think uh, Mitch failed to mention um, all those other formats that, yeah, that you yeah, finished well. And I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but um, share with our listeners just uh, your credentials, I suppose. Yeah, I finished 245th in Supercoach last year, and it's my first real year of playing that, and I finished second in Real Dream Team as well. So I had a kind of pretty good year across all three formats, which I was pretty happy about, but I've got yeah. to back it up and show that I can actually they actually know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, now, you, now you're on these podcasts and uh, talking to all the fans out there. You sort of put yourself in the limelight, as uh, all us podcasters do. But um, I'll, I guess I'll start off the first question I have is, so you mentioned that last year was sort of your first real crack at Supercoach. Like, what was your entry into uh, AFL Fantasy Dream Team or whatever it is? Like, which format did you start with the most, the first? And um, I guess, do you have like a favorite format that you feel like you're probably uh, most well-versed in? Uh, or yeah, which one do you sort of find yourself gravitate, gravitating towards the most? I started in AFL Fantasy quite a long time ago, actually. I played it a couple of times when I was in high school against some, some people in my year. And then fell out of favor for it for quite a few years and decided to jump back into it. I think it was 2019. 
Yeah. Got back into it then, played through the COVID years and then obviously this year. And then as I felt a bit more comfortable inside of AFO Fantasy, I dabbled out into Real Dream Team, did that side of that a couple of years ago and then got into Supercoach last year because a mate of mine uh, got me into it as well. I wouldn't say I have a favorite per se. I, I think because I'm most experienced with AFO Fantasy, I tend to yep. revert to using a lot of the terminology that's used in that as opposed to the terminology that's used in Supercoach. And Dream Team doesn't really have anything that's different to those two. It's kind of a, an amalgamation of the different systems yeah. and the different scoring. Yep. Um, and it has a bit of a lesser following compared to AF and, and Supercoach. But yeah, I, I'd say that that's how I would describe it, I guess. Mitch has, uh, Mitch has actually got some ulterior motives for getting you on the show, mate. He's he's dabbling in Supercoach this year. So I'm going to give it a uh, <laughs> Once he decided that, he thought, I've got to get some people <laughs> who know what they're talking about on the show. So what um, w- would you have any advice for, for people who are trying out um, those new formats for the first time? Like, do, Does it really do your head in trying to kind of keep across everything or were you quite comfortable? It started doing my head in towards the, the back half of last year, keeping across all three formats because I was up near the top in all three of them and... Yeah, the stress of if you're in the hat territory in AF, you, and then you've got the stress of all three of them going at the same time. That was yeah, that was getting me going that's, a little bit. That's a good rough. stress to have, Matt. That's a good stress. To <laughs> it have. is a good stress to have, but it uh, it, it definitely led to some sleepless nights and some uh, annoyed Friday and Saturday afternoons. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, Mitch, Mitch was stressed enough just doing yeah, one well, of them. So I was I gonna, even... I was gonna actually ask you about that because, um, and I don't know your experience prior to last year as well, but like that last year was sort of I've only been playing for sort of three or four years now, but last year was the first year that I went really, really well. And I think I found myself in the top 25 around around the buys in AFL fantasy. But after the buys was, was struggling with a few, uh, I think I put myself in a few odd positions there. I think at one point I had seven premium defenders and, and <laughs> just found myself in a few different positions that I didn't want to be in and uh, was sort of, uh, I guess, overthinking it in a way and, and maybe succumbing to a bit of that pressure. And, and uh, like, uh, whereas the first half of the season, I found myself just backing myself in, making decisions that were a bit more, um, you know, instinctual, I, w- I would say. H- how did you find yourself, again, with, with three formats where you're doing well in? Uh, obviously, you've coped pretty well uh, with that kind of pressure uh, during the season. What, what were some, some things that helped you with that kind of a thing? I think the way that I actually came into those good positions may have helped as well. I didn't have a really good start to the season across any of the formats. I had a good enough one to be able to attack the top rankings. And then I moved into those top areas through the buys and out of the buys, which probably means that I guess I felt like I was making a lot of good decisions for a long period of time. And I never felt like I was having to chase people. I was always feeling like people had to chase me. Yeah. Um, and so I tried to keep backing my gut, keep doing the same research that I'd been doing in the weeks prior. Um, I started building some spreadsheets for Dream Team and, and AFL Fantasy to track ownership myself of people that were around me. And I, I felt that that helped because it meant that I was staying on the players that were differentials to others and staying kind of like half an upgrade or an upgrade ahead of other people, whereas a lot of people would chase premiums and be like, I've got to get onto, you know, for AFL Fantasy, for example, I've got to get onto Doherty, yeah. Sinclair, Dawson, whereas yeah. I was kind of just like, no, I need to go somewhere else rather than those three. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's definitely a lesson that I'm hoping to to apply for this year was, um, you know, sort of understanding that it's a long, long season. Like it's, um, mm. you get to the buys and it feels like you get through the buys and say, okay, I'm pretty good here. And it's, but it's that, that second half of the year to me where, where everyone starts to, you know, try to differentiate themselves and, and, uh, 
And it's um yeah it's a t- it's a tough sort of home stretch I would say and Seth, like the the captain's choices were doing my head in uh, I've famously um you know put the put the captaincy on a Callum Mills instead infamously. of a, <laughs> infamously <laughs> instead of like a, um an Oliver which cost me about I think it was eighty nine points or something in that one decision and sort of that haunted me for a few weeks after I think that let let it affect a few other decisions like later on feeling the pressure to sort of go big every week but. Yeah, I think it's just understanding that it's a, it's a long season. Keep playing your game, um, you know, even if yeah. you make a few mistakes along the way, because we all will, you know, yeah. like no one's yeah, going to exactly. have, have a perfect season. So, um, yeah, no, it looks like you've had a, had a great year and uh, yeah. hopefully, like you said, you can parlay it into a, a second season. So in, in that being said, mate, um, when we have, you know, well-educated people on the show, we kind of want to pick your brains, of course. Do you have any, I, I suppose, philosophies um, that you kind of live by in terms of AFL fantasy? I think the biggest one is you've got to be able to sell yourself on players inside of your squad and you've got to be able to make a narrative as to why they're there. They're not just going to be there because that's the price point that fits in your team or I've got 300K left over. I need to pick a player that's around that point. You want to be able to say, right, I'm picking, let's use an example for this year. I'm picking Dunkley because I think he's going to be the top scoring forward. He's changed clubs. He's going to get an increased midfield role. You've got to try and build that sort of an idea for every player that you're looking at through the preseason and then end up picking in your round one squad. Yeah. So you'd say that, I, I, sorry to cut you off. So you'd say that the narrative is just as important as kind of the pure numbers. Yeah, exactly. Like you can have someone that has the pure numbers, but if you don't, if you're not sold on them, you're not going to pick them. Yeah. Like yeah. If you don't think that there's a reason why they're going to increase their scoring or be able to fulfill a role inside of your team, then you're probably not going to pick that player. So it's about, like the narrative can come from the numbers. If you yep. think that someone's going to break out and you've tracked their scoring trajectory over the last couple of years and say the second half of last year, they had a really big bump as they had a bump in CBAs, that might be the narrative that you need to pick someone. Do you think that there's any players out there that maybe are potentially like popular players that, you know, like you said, sometimes we, we fall in love with the price point. And I, and I think that that rings true to me because sometimes, like especially when you maybe people have had their squad for a lot of the preseason, someone like a Christian Salem goes down yeah. and we're sort of scrambling to find someone to fill the void that that player once held. Um, and then you sort of find someone around about that price point, but you don't believe in them like you did a Salem before his, you know, his thyroid issue or whatever like that. Do you think that there are players that maybe are popular at the moment that people are maybe not convinced of their own narrative and are in a lot of people's size just because of the fact that they're at a convenient price? Um, I think that people have different narratives that they have for different players. There are certainly players in my team that I've got, I guess, less strong narratives okay. about yeah. compared to others. And they're the ones where you tend to look for options around a similar price point or do you need to restructure your team in order yeah, to yeah. change where they are? Yeah. Um, and those narratives, I, I guess the ideas associated with those players either get cemented through the preseason, which is why those games that are coming up in a week and two weeks' time are so yeah. useful because they actually provide us the information we need. Um, or they, they'd say basically that that player isn't worth selecting at their price point and we need to start to restructure and look elsewhere. Yeah, cool. I guess I guess based on that as well, like if we go, obviously we've got the narrative side of things, but also there's the, obviously, the, I guess the statistics that maybe help build that narrative and give strength that narrative. Are there any particular things that you look for when looking for your your players or doing your research? Like are you a, a big um, um, analyzer of CBAs? Do you look at like sort of pre-buy, post-buy? Some people look at last five. Um, is there, are there any particular trends that you're looking at when you're doing your research on each of these players? 
I tend to look at pre-buy, post-buy a bit more than last five. I think that last five is a bit of a too short of a sample size. Yeah. It doesn't really give you that much. Yep. Whereas pre-buy, post-buy tends to be when players start to have role changes. And if you can marry that up with CBA data, it can be really useful. Yep. Uh, but I don't go too hard on the stats. I do a little bit on gut feel. I do a little bit on um, looking for players that have had role changes and then analyze a bit of the preseason data in terms of like points per minute stats, which is really useful in preseason um, because gut. players get... I was just going to say, gut, gut feel is such a... It's such an interesting thing because I remember like one of my best calls last year was was Andrew Brayshaw and and mm. if I go back if I go back last season like there wasn't a strong like pre buy post buy change of role or anything like that I just had this gut feel that this was a future future star that was going to take another step and and like we I've said before about a few other players like it's not like we didn't know that Andrew Brayshaw was going to be a good player like it was obvious that he's a good player but. It's kind of just yeah that gut feel, and I think that it's hard to it's hard to quantify that and sort of get that across in a podcast. But I do think that like like you sort of said that it is um it is something that I would encourage a lot of people to sort of back in a, a lot of the time. Um, you're not always going to get it right, but I think sometimes it can it can be sort of those big big payoffs. So um, yeah, I think that's a good point you raised there. People don't like the term gut feel because it's not quantifiable <laughs> yeah. compared to a lot of the other stats. Yeah, like. A lot of people started Josh Kelly in place of Andrew Brayshaw last year, myself included. Yeah, me too. I had both. <laughs> but then the other thing about that is that Josh Kelly wasn't necessarily a bad pick. It's no. just that Andrew Brayshaw was an amazing pick. Yeah. pick. yeah. Um, and so having gut feeling, being able to back yourself in on decisions like that is really important. Like if you have a coin flip decision, I, I tend to ask around, I ask a few people, what do you think about this player? I'm tossing out between these two. What are your thoughts? And just taking the information, but you've just got to back yourself in the end because in the end, it's your team. You're going to be, you have to be comfortable in decisions that you're making for the yeah. players that you're selecting. No, I definitely agree with that, mate. Definitely agree. Now, just just uh, sort of piggybacking on Mitch's question here. This is actually one I've um, been really excited to ask you is just about kind of time invested because I reckon there's probably a few casual listeners out there who think like, you know, geez, I don't know if I can get into the full spreadsheets like you mentioned. I don't know how much time I can spend on Twitter. Um, even myself last year, I'd kind of, you know, just talk to Mitch a little bit. I'd, I'd kind of listen to the traders on a, on a Thursday night and I'd pick my team. Do you think, do you think that there's the opportunity for the casual kind of person to still win a hat or do you think it really is time invested? How, how much kind of time would you say that you invest over the course of the season? I think there's a relationship between time invested and performance, yep. but you know, there's, there's a lot of other factors that can come into play. It's a game where there's a fair bit of luck involved at times as well. Like, you get a player that goes in, gets injured halfway through the first game, that's going to cost you a lot. Whereas if you have someone that gets injured right at the end of the season, it's not going to cost you quite as much. Yeah, I think that, you know, you can still do pretty well and it's all about what your aim is. Like if you're a casual player of AFL Fantasy and your aim is to finish, you know, top 5,000, top 10,000 sort of thing, you can easily, you know, maybe only do an hour or two a week at most and still finish in that ranks. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's just starting to push towards, you know, top 100, top 50. You, you start to invest maybe six or seven hours a week, maybe more. Like a lot of the time that I invest isn't just doing my own research. It's actually listening to a lot of podcasts. So like yeah. I just, on my commute to and from work and if I'm going down to the shops or saying, I'll chuck a podcast on. I'm doing chores around the house or, you know, doing a vacuum, cooking a meal, listen to something in the background because it gives you something to do at the same time. Yeah, yeah. that's a good thing I, about podcasts, isn't it? You can yeah, just them off. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, so I, 
I was thinking I was probably doing maybe about 10 hours a week, but that was across all three formats. And then towards the end of the season, it probably got to a little bit more as I was having to really (laughs) think through some of my decisions. Like I've never been one that makes my spreadsheets very often. I tend to use resources that already exist out there, but I started to have to make my own spreadsheet for Dream Team last year because no one was ranking and no one was looking at ownership across the top ranks. Yeah. Okay. So I did that to see where I was standing up against other people that were around me and, you know, the trades that they were making, which is useful information that's provided by other sources in AFL fantasy and in super coach at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what we love about it. Like, you know, I mean, if, if, if at the end of the day, if it feels like a chore and it feels like something you've got to get in there, like chances are you're probably not going to have the endurance to go through the entire season. But if it's something you love doing and it's, it's a, it's, it's a good, hobby. And it's good that people are rewarded for their investment too. I think I mean, so. I, yeah. I, I, part of me, I want to have it both ways. I want to be kind of semi <laughs> semi casual, and I want to be driving a Hilux. And um, but it's good that those people who really, really do invest yeah. a lot of time and energy in that they um, reap the rewards. Oh, things change when you start to see those double digit ranks, mate. If you see, if you see those <laughs> see, ranks come up there, I reckon I, I the, the investment will spike. <laughs> it, will, it will spike, mate. I was seeing everything greater than like ten thousand last year. And <laughs> it yeah. was a struggle. Yeah, a little bit point. discouraging. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to start to, to hone in on sort of creating um, your sort of starting squad there, um, and obviously this time of year we're flooded with news. Where mm. every time you check on Twitter, someone's you know uh, best on ground. Like this guy's at a everyone CBA's. can't be best on ground. Every, sure. Everyone's <laughs> in the midfield. You know, there's lots and lots of information out there. Uh, intra clubs, especially. You know, there's there's two sets of midfields in every single team. Two sets of players taking all these kick ins. What are your strategies at this point? In the season, when you know, looking into preseason games, looking into uh, match simulations, sifting through all the news on Twitter, like how much do you put into those kind of things? Are there particular things that you're looking for? Do you have like a, a checklist of of particular matchups that you're starting to um, pay attention to, or, or what's what's your process of sifting through all of the the uh, the shit out there, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term? There is. A lot of information that comes out in the yeah. preseason and a lot of people want to, you know, be the first one to release a story, be the first one to put out an interesting take. Yeah. I tend to rely on the news sources that come from, you know, actual journalists as, as, yeah. as instead of, you know, Twitter journalists for the most part. Like there's some nice things that you can get from people that post stuff up, but it's hard to verify how reliable it is. Whereas yeah. the journalists, they've got their integrity on the line. They, they can't just go and report something that's factually wrong. There's a lot of people just lurking in the bushes this time of year. Yeah, they're just, yes. like, the really just leaning over the fence. <laughs> and and most of the time, I'm typically looking for reasons to push players out rather than to pull players in. Okay. So the the big things you're looking for is like, have they had an injury interrupted preseason, or do they have an issue? Like a great example is someone like Salem who has a thyroid issue. He's on an interrupted preseason. He went from being someone that I was considering in my backline to someone that's not going to be in my team anymore because of that yep. injury interruptions. Yep. And that kind of guides then the players that you're looking at during the preseason games, because that's when you start to get a list of, you know, 40, 50, 60 players. And you can actually monitor what roles they're playing during those preseason games. How did they look then and start to rule players off from that point. That's an interesting point because I think, like I've sort of said at the start of the preseason, maybe like a month ago when we saw, or a little bit longer than that, when we were starting our podcast, you know, it was all about opening up your books, trying to go as broad as possible, put as many names down on the on the list as you can, and uh, okay, who could be an option? Who could be an option? Whereas now, like you said, I agree with you. I think it's more about you know, taking names off the list. Okay, it's sort of being ruthless, starting to get a bit more, uh, you know. 
honing in your focus onto a few group of players. Uh, whereas I think, especially if it, perhaps if you come onto the scene maybe a bit later, you know, you haven't quite done the research up until this point. I think that that can get you a bit of trouble where you're starting to add names onto the list now. And I think that for the for the people who are organised and a bit more across it, they've already done that sort of stuff. So I think if you are coming into it late, um, I would just take a lot of those reports where someone's flying and someone's doing a great job with a grain of salt. Um, I would wait until you're getting actual footage that you can watch with your own eyes and then you can make a more educated decision that way. But if you have been you know, on top of it from the, the get-go, the start of the year, then like you said, I, I think right now it's about... If something like a Salem report comes out, well, then you get your pen out and you, you rule a line through a player rather than adding someone who uh, wasn't on your list prior to um, to your list sort of last second. So, yeah, I think that's a good point you make there. Definitely. Mate, I want to talk to you quickly about ownership percentage and how that kind of dictates your thinking. Um, I, th- I think I heard you mention it on the on the pod pod recently um, that uh, sort of depending on ownership percentage, you can kind of feel a little bit more safety in a pick going kind of with, with the crowd um, can kind of mitigate uh, a lot of risk. Um, can you just kind of talk us through your, your thoughts on ownership percentage and how that kind of plays into you um, constructing your starting squad? You don't have to have a squad that's very different to the, I guess, crowd for round one in order to be able to perform well. Yeah. You you can differentiate team differentiate your team through the year, but it's very easy to lose your way with a bad team in round one when you've gone for differential picks. And let's say the difference in a player getting injured who's fifty percent owned to a player getting injured who's one percent owned is yeah. huge. Yeah. So, like, if, for example, if Tom Mitchell goes down in round one with an injury you're probably going to have 50% of the competition that's looking for someone to jump onto. Whereas, for example, if, I don't know, Adam Cherry goes down and gets injured in round one, you might only have 1% of the competition that's looking to move off of him. So the ownership mitigates risk in that respect. Um, It limits the upside, but it minimizes the downside associated with him. And typically there's a lot of picks that are popular for a reason. Like Josh Dunkley is popular because everyone wants an F1. Everyone thinks he's probably going to be the best scoring rock for the year. And there's a narrative around. Exactly, exactly. Rookies are popular because they're going to be players that are selected in round one. And everyone's going to need to have, you know, six or seven rookies on field at least. And And so... Yeah, sorry, keep going, So, yeah, I I guess that's where ownership starts to play into my mind. It's like, it's not the players that are very highly owned that are the problem. It's the ones that are middle owned that you kind of can see yourself going against. Yep. Um, I think a good example might be someone like in the forward line, it's very tricky because a lot of people are wanting to start two of Cornelio, Taranto and Rosie. You're going to have to fade one of those. So yeah. how, how do you win on the ownership battle there? It's a yeah, tricky one. It's definitely a tough one. And um, I guess people talk about team vanilla and, and um, starting with that vanilla squad. Cause at the end of the day, like most people, it, it's a trading game, isn't it? hundred percent. AFL fantasy, that. you have, you know, trades up the wazoo. So you can make those moves throughout the season and you get to the end of the season, you're trading in and out players, um, you know, based on opponent and captaincy options and that. So starting with something that looks very similar to everyone else is kind of just a good good foundation, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, I, was, I was talking to actually, uh, I was just chatting on, on Twitter with, with Holmesy the other day and, and we were talking about, you know, sort of my journey in, in AFL fantasy and the first the first big year journey, I played, man. yeah, big journey. <laughs> uh, my, my first year I played a very very straight bat and it was very vanilla, like listen to the, the traders and that sort of stuff and, and actually was, it, I put together a decent season, like your first,
first year when you play a pretty straight bat. I think the second year I went a bit crazy. I think I got the the Marera's Magic Season Guide. You know, you had picked, pods coming out of your I eyeballs. Had pods coming out of my eyeballs. <laughs> I think I, I went onto a Zach Williams, and and he, you know, I went between. It was like him and a Darcy Parish, and you know, sliding doors Don't talk moment. To me about Darcy uh, well, that year was the year he started winning medals for fun, oh, okay. um, and so mm-hmm. should have gone him there, but I went to Zach Williams instead, and and he ended up getting injured and. And fell way outside the top 5,000 just because I was trying to be a bit bit tricky and go for that point of difference. And I think last year was the, the year that I sort of found that balance. So I think, you know, you're starting with a couple of players that may be a point of difference. But I've always said picking a point of difference for the sake of point, picking a point of difference is not what I think you should be doing. I think that if, if you have a player that you believe in, whether he's 100% owned or, or 5% owned, it, 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 it doesn't really change the narrative too much for me. I think the only time where it does is when I'm 50-50 on a player. A good example for me this season might be a Nick Dacos. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a bit uncertain as to whether or not I think he's a good pick or not. Because he is someone who is so highly owned, it kind of pushes me in the direction of maybe trying to go against a player like that. Um if it was someone like a Dunkley and I'm you know, I'm sold on him and I see him at a high ownership, I'm not going to go against him just because he's high ownership because I believe in him myself. But I think when it's those like split decision calls, you know, another player like uh, that I've been high on is a Dylan Moore. He's another lowly owned player. When I'm a bit 50-50 with a player like that, maybe I go a bit more of that safety option. I use that as kind of a tiebreaker. So it can happen both ways, but I think when it comes to those sort of Splitting a decision, uh, those hair decisions, um, that's sort of where I would use ownership to sort of uh, make those calls. Would you Would you agree with that in terms of, um, you know, making that last sort of decision for your, your teams rounding them out? Yeah, I think that sums up how I feel a bit. I think it's the players that have high ownership that can take a season away from you, the ones you've got to be really cautious about. Yeah. Like Jack McRae, Rowan Marshall, Josh Dunkley, Sam Doherty, those types of players that, have proven scoring potential and high ownership. Like yeah. if they go for 125, 130 to start the season and you're in the crowd that doesn't have them and 50% does, that's when you can start to get in a lot of trouble. Whereas yeah. someone like Nick Dacos hasn't shown, whilst he's been a good scorer, he hasn't shown like a 100-plus ceiling consistent. on a consistent occasion. Yeah. Like you don't you don't go into round one thinking Nick Dacos is going to go 110 over the first six weeks. No. Because that's just not likely to happen as much as it is with those other players. So yeah, I get exactly what you're coming where you're coming from with that. In saying that, you mentioned a few names off the top there. Um, when we talk about those guys who are like at the top of their line, like so, your Sam Doherty's, your Rory Laird's, your Tim English, your Dunkleys. Like, how do you go about valuing those guys? Because I think the the buzzword a lot of the past few seasons and, and Selby sort of laid the foundation for that is is value in each of the positions. Um, but when you have those guys that are sort of, I would I would consider them top of their price point, fairly priced or, or fully priced. How do you go in terms of valuing those kind of players? I, I myself am struggling with a player like Doherty and whether or not it's worth paying up for that when I still have him clearly as like my D one, but I don't know if I see any value in a player like that. How do you go with um, you know valuing those kind of players? The top line premiums are really tricky because we've gone into the last few years of AFL fantasy with the mentality that you don't want to spend right up to the top end players. I mean, a lot of people still picked a player like Dunkley last year because he was value, but then he comes in this year and might still present value because he's moved to a new club and might still have an increase in CBAs associated with that. And a lot of people still rank him as the F1 and similarly they rank Doherty as the D1. 
those two, I think, are in a bit of a different league to, say, someone like Laird in the midfield because yep. there's a lot of other people that could end up being M1 yeah. compared to the people that could be F1 or D1. And so you're more likely to take a risk on someone else as opposed to Laird and save 100K if you think someone like McRae can go 110 for the season yeah. and Laird yeah. comes down to 115. That's a gain of like 15 points on your field because of that. Whereas if Dunkley maintains what he's at, which I think is what most people would have as a floor for him, and those around him like Cornelio, Taranto and Rosie come up by say five to eight points a game, you haven't lost quite as much. Yeah, yeah. okay. No, for sure. For yeah. sure. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. So I guess it's just the difference between, you know, uh, how much can you gain on other positions versus those guys who are clearly top of their line is sort of the way you're thinking about it. Yeah. those guys. I think that's the way. Yeah, There's a little bit of a narrative too as well that if, if those guys do start the season well, you could be left in the lurch a little bit in terms of like being able to get them in. It's like if, if you know, Dunks starts hot and so does Doc, um, you know, where are you going to suddenly find the cash to, to go up to those guys if they're kind of like suddenly taking your season away from you? I, th- I think for me as well, like, like I, at the start of the season, I was very much keen on going against, um, sorry, Doherty. I've always had Dunkley on my side, but Doherty I've been toing and throwing. I think for me, it's also the, the, the narrative of like, well, if you're not going to pick him, who else are you picking? Hmm. And you, you've got to have confidence that the guy that you're going to pick instead of him or the guys, like the way you're spreading that money yeah. around is going to make up that difference and I think for me this year just the defensive line oh the back one's cooked at the moment like there's I just I just don't see that much other options so where I would normally go against a player like Doherty because I don't think he's necessarily a captain option that I'd be comfortable with yeah. um, I don't think he's got too much more upside I find it hard to go away from a player like that just because the other options haven't presented themselves too much for me. But when, again, I'm still open for those other options to present themselves. But as of right now, I'm struggling to find them. I think when Salem was there as a possibility, you could make a case for yeah. building a backline without Doc. But I think once that's happened, there's almost a need to have Doc there and then kind of feed down from there. So the kind of segues into our next question, Monk, is um, structure. So... 
Do you have any sort of rules around structure? How many kind of rookies are you looking for in each line? Are there? Do you have uh, rules on how many mid prices you might like to have? How many guys that you want to keep all the way through through the season? Just kind of talk to us about your general thoughts on structure, and uh, we'll kind of pick your brains a little bit. Structure is something that gets talked about a lot, and I think it changes year to year depending on what's available to you, and it's really dictated by your rookies and your mid prices as opposed to your premiums. You tend to fit your premiums in where there's the holes to fit them in. I I tend to run with a fairly similar structure year to year though, despite that, because it tends to work out that way. Normally the midfield and rock line tends to be fairly similar and it's the back and forward line that uh, changes depending on, you know, what DPPs you have available, what mid prices and what rookies you have. Um, Typically you're looking at about seven rookies on field, maybe three to four mid prices, depending on who's available and what price they come in and then filling out the rest of your team with, you know, premiums from there. And it also depends on how much value you're searching for. Like you can stretch yourself a lot more with some cheap mid prices and you can get a lot more premiums on field. Um, but it's, it's risky to go for those cheaper mid prices because they're the less likely ones to pay off compared to the ones that have, I guess, done it before and come in at a better price point because they've had, you know, injuries or injury affected games or they've missed an entire season. I've just checked. I've got seven rookies on my field. Oh, so that's a big tick. Mate, highlights. <laughs> scoot, scoot. Yeah, so. I also have seven rookies on field. Oh, sorry. There you go. Oh, there needs to be two highlights. We're, we're alive. We're alive. <laughs> I haven't checked, but I'll be able to check. I'll, I'll, you, I'll be out here. When, when, we're, when we're looking at this season in particular, are you? Uh, is there a particular... Um, Obviously, we're talking about rucks a lot. Seven. Seven. We're all all hat winners so far. Um, Is there a particular, like, lines? Obviously, like, defense and rucks seems to be wrapping people's brains a lot. Um, Where do you see the structure going in particular for those two lines? I know I, again, to quote the great man Selby on his season guide, one of the stats I saw that really perked my, my ears was that no winner in the past, I think, five years, I think it was, has had a uh, two premium rucks in in their starting lineup. They've always had wow. one sort of yeah. one sort of big ruck and then and a value option. It flies like, in the face of set and forget. It does. It? it flies in the face of set and forget. This year, the the Rowan Marshall Tim English seems to be sort of the popular mm. one. But again, you know, you've got Tim English who's had a few niggles coming into the preseason. But then again, a lot of the value options have also had Darcy Cameron's had his hamstring. Um, you know, I've actually and I, I don't think I've spoken to you about this yet, Luke. But I uh, no uh, or- Scott. Lysette has made his way into my teams here and there. And, um, you know, again... Brent played pretty well, apparently. Apparently, that's the news again. I'm, I'm trying not to look in too much into we're, those We're Twitter, rambling. What was our Twitter question reports, to, but, to the monster? But those, <laughs> but those two lines in particular, how do you see the structure going with defence and rucks this year, in your opinion? Defence is tricky. And it has been basically all pre-season because... Doherty is the standout premium. And then the tier below is, I guess, Sinclair and Dawson based off of price. But there's a lot of question marks on um, Sinclair due to the Ross line coming in, new coach. No one's really sure what's going to be happening. It's questions on Dawson as to whether he's actually going to be playing off halfback or whether he's going to be pushing further up the ground onto the wing. That has me concerned. And then you start to look at the next tier down and there's still question marks over the players like Stewart and Brayshaw that, leave people kind of wanting to go even further down. Like, yeah, what's yeah, exactly. And that's why someone like Dacos, and I hate to harp on about his name. I swear I've said it more times this preseason (laughs) than I did the entirety of last year. It's, it's players like him at his price point that become so appealing or players like Yo at their mid price price point become so appealing because no one really wants to spend up for those top line premiums when there's so many question marks. So you may as well back on a guy that you think has, 
at five to 10 points of upside at minimum, rather than going for someone who's at the top of their line, but might regress. Um, And I think that is why there's a lot of confusion about that. And and the other reason is because a lot of people are wanting to load up in the forward line instead, because there's a lot of premiums that we think have upside there compared to what we have down back. And so people are trying to stretch their defensive line quite thin to compensate for that. I've got a question based on what you just said there, because at the start of the preseason, I was very much of that opinion that we should, obviously there's a lot of value that we can clearly see for the forward line. And and in an ideal world, we'd have four premium uh, forwards because they all present with decent value. Mm. At what point do you think that we've just kind of got to bite the bullet? And and even though maybe the options we don't like in defense, we don't like quite as much, but because there's so much uncertainty, maybe there's an argument to actually especially with all of the mid-prices, like, you know, with Salem going down, maybe Yo is that only real guy that's sort of putting his hand up. Um, do you think there's an argument for us to pay up a bit more in defense because there's a lot of uncertainty and maybe skimp on the forward line as much as we think that there is value in the forward line? I think people are looking to pay up for the rookie price players down back as opposed for the premiums. So right. people are really looking at the likes of um, Caulfield, Hunter Clark, Connor McKenna over the last couple of weeks Constable. and trying to think, yeah, Constable as well, and trying to think about how can they can get someone like that at D5 mm. while still running a relatively cheap backline rather than paying up and putting 100K on another player and going up to a, a, a top sixer as opposed to someone who you think is an underpriced premium. Do you think that's the I right way that's to go about it? people are coming from. In your opinion? It's going to depend on what information we get in the preseason. Okay. Um, I think if, you know, if these players have got a good role and they're can show that they're a best 22 type player. Like McKenna has played in the AFL before. He knows what he's doing. He can go 70 for a season, but is he best 22? What are the roles of Hunter Clark and Caulfield? And is someone like Constable a best 22 player? If yeah. if one of those sticks their head out, I think there'll be a lot of coaches that will start to restructure to put a player like that at D5 rather than running, say, two rookies down back. If you look at, if you look at your back line, it ends up being something like, you know, Dacos, Young, um, McKenna, um, Constable McGrath, there's you look at that and think there's a lot of opportunity for that to go tits yeah. up real bad. Like if if yeah. Dacos just has another season like he did, it would be a good AFL season, but not a good fantasy season. You know, Young could have potentially risk of that. Yo, Yo if he gets injured, yeah, like yeah. you start to look at that backline and think, geez, if everything goes wrong here, my season could be shot before it even gets started. But and, that, and that's my thing. Like like and and we talk about sometimes we talk about balance. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like we want to have a, a bit of a balanced side. We don't want to necessarily, even though there is a lot of value in the forward line. I'm I'm wary of not putting all of my eggs in one basket and trying to fit. Like you said, we talked about those narratives. Like I'm, I don't want to put players in my in my defence just because they could. Like there's there's yeah. a, a weak narrative for them to outperform their price, but I don't really believe in it. You know, player like Connor McKenna, I'm I'm really hesitant to go a player like that because. There's just a world where he kind of has you spinning your wheels a little bit, and um, it's difficult to get that cash generation in that pack, uh, that back line, and get yourself up to those sort of top six guys. So, mm. it is obviously a line that a lot of us are struggling with, and it's well documented across a lot of podcasts. Do you, is that where you personally are? Is that the line that you're struggling with the most? Or again, we haven't talked about rucks as well. Like, what are your thoughts on the ruck line, and uh, especially that R two? Because I think a lot of us have Rowan Marshall, you know, locked in there as long as we don't see. Uh, uh, Tom Campbell out in the streets. Um, what are your thoughts on the ruck line as well? Yeah, I, I think I agree with that sentiment um, about Marshall being locked in a lot of teams yeah. and I, I can't find a reason why I would want to move him out of my team at this stage yet. doesn't mean one won't come, but he's pretty settled in my squad. 
and trying to figure out who to pair alongside him is become one of the bigger headaches this process and yeah, everyone yeah. started off really with English and that's gone downhill as he's had hamstring issues abductor issues uh people looked at Darcy Cameron but he's also had injury issues and he might be rush airing with um Cox so then people start to look at the cheaper options like Meek, Lysette, Draper even and <laughs> they're so <laughs> tricky to figure out like who to start with I yeah, think people yeah. are really I'm I'm myself I'm searching for a lot of value at that R2 position now but like if I have to pay up for someone like Riley O'Brien or Darcy Cameron or Wits, then that's what you have to do because the other players aren't close enough. So you haven't ruled the out issue, those kind of players? Not ruled out yet, um, but really have an aversion to wanting to pick them. Yeah, <laughs> trying to find any um, other, other way to go yeah, about it. Exactly. And people tend to move towards the premium type options in the rock line, not because they're significantly better, but it's so hard to move up. Yeah. the price points in the ruck line easily, like in the yeah. midfield or down back or up forward, there's a lot more of a spread of players at different price points. And it's very easy to chop and change between someone and only spend 5k, but to chop and change between options that you'd like in the ruck line that you think can push, you know, 10 points of upside, it can be 50, 100, 150k yeah, price difference, yeah. which makes it very hard if you're not set on your ruck line. Cause I feel like that is dictating a lot of people's structure at the moment. And, I took a haircut in my most recent draft and went down from English to, to Lysette and I've had him at R2 and in the process of doing that, it's allowed me to get a rookie up to another mid price. So, so it, it, it affects your structure in that manner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess my, my last question on that ruck line as well is, so in terms of, I've got a rule, well, I guess it's, Again, it's a tough one to sort of stick by because especially in that ruck line, it seems like... You're you not going to talk about your over 30 rule, No, not both. Well, that rule as well. So, Lyset is 30, um, but also... Mm, eliminated. <laughs> but also my rule of uninterrupted preseason. So, what? what's, in your opinion, like, so we, we know that Darcy Cameron's had, you know, the hamstring issues, you know, uh, most recently English has had a hamstring tightness, pull him out of um, match simulation, but also an adductor issue earlier on, like... What do you think is the line in terms of a player having an interrupted preseason and then that ruling them out of your side? Is it is it are they if they play the preseason games then that's a tick in your eyes or is it a little bit more nuanced on that depending on the other options around you? I think at minimum they have to play the preseason okay. games. Okay. Um, I got sucked into picking Miller last yeah, year, I think we all did. and he didn't play the preseason game, yeah. and it was clearly a bad pick. And that hurt a lot. And I don't want to be sucked into that sort of um, player again. Yep. Um, so you, you've got to minimum play the, the preseason game. And then it's about how much time you've missed during the preseason and what the injury was. So, like, let's, let's use a couple of examples from this week that's happened. Andrew Brayshaw missed a preseason training. You're not going to pick him? No, he didn't play yeah. because he was sick. Yeah. Um, Zach Butters missed a, an intra-club for Port but he's only not playing because it was at intra-club and not training and he has a bruised AC joint. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So these types of things is if it's one off like that where they only missed a session or two, you're not quite as concerned, but if they've had, you know, a week off, like, like English has had at times, that's when you start to be a lot more concerned about picking them. And if it happens on multiple at multiple times during the preseason, that's when you start to go from having a little bit of a question mark next to them to a, a red line through their name. 
Yeah, all these rules we have, we you need to have flexibility, don't you? Yeah. everyone's got their rules and philosophies, but they're not rigid. Yeah, and I think I think just to just to get my boy in this podcast one more time, I think Bailey Smith was an example. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey Smith was an example of that earlier in the preseason. A lot of people were just ruling him out because he was he was being managed as on a managed program, and mm. and people were saying, "Yep, interrupted preseason, you can't have him." But in my opinion, when you actually look into why he was interrupted, it was just like we've said before, it was a loading program. They're kind I, of just managing he's, his. He's minutes. been out with Jack Ginnaman, hasn't he? What's that? Been, oh, isn't that? Isn't that where he's been? Oh. He's, is that too soon? Yeah, Am too I gonna, soon there. Are we going to get... A <laughs> little, little on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> yes! Oh, man, I'm clipping that for sure. That's good. That that's was good definitely gear. going on good the gear. YouTube. Is it YouTube Shorts? Is yeah, that yeah, yeah. Shorts, yeah, I got it right. TikTok yes. spread that one. That was good. <laughs> We're going viral. <laughs> well played. All right, uh, let's move on. We'll we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this one up, and I want to just pick the last couple of questions here. Uh, pick your brain on um, your team and how it's shaping up at the moment, and basically just the players that, you know, barring any unchanged or unforeseen uh, change in role or circumstances, who have you got locked in each line? So th- go through your defenders, mids, rucks, uh, forwards. Um, you can give us as spicy a take as you want, but who are the sort of the players that you think that are pretty much locked into your team in each of those lines, and uh, and sort of what your what your thoughts are on each of them? If you're happy to reveal your secrets, of yeah, course, of course, of course. There are certainly players that I'm much more happy and much more confident to pick coming into round one. I don't really have any players that I consider a lock, so I don't really like that term because I had to, yeah. But people, yeah, it really, it. people it throw really it out forced, all the time. Oh my gosh! It's like this player's a lock, or this player's a lock, and it's just like, well, are they? Is there a structure that works without them? Yep. There's a lot of players that I'm very confident starting. That I, I'd say there's players that haven't moved from my preseason team, yep. and I'll okay. try to use those as my examples. Yep. So down back, I've actually got a couple, which are Hayden Young and Elliot Yo. I like it. I like the Hayden Young pick. I'm a big fan too. Yeah, I think that those two present value. People. Yo comes in at a discounted price because of injury and Young has had, you know, progression. He, he's going to probably get a bigger share of what's going on down back for free and likely get some kick-ins as well. Yeah. So that's why he's been sitting in my team and he's he'll been moving to, between around that D2, yeah. D3 position. He'll have to fight Luke Ryan for those kick-ins. That bloke loves a kick-in, eh? Yeah, he's well, again, if we're, go, does. if we're going to go anything off Twitter at the moment, apparently he's doing it. But again, I'll, Who, I'll wait. Luke to Ryan see. or Young? No, Young's been getting the Is kick-ins. Okay. Yeah, but again, okay. I'll, I'll wait to see it if not my own eyes. But uh, nothing to rule him out just yet. What I've been team. hearing is that Young has been getting the kick-ins and Ryan has not been happy about it. Oh. <laughs> that, do, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that makes a lot of no. sense. Yeah, so so Yo and Young there. I think um, Yo is probably everyone's Most a bit, people, bit yeah. onto that one. And again, it's more yeah. of just a health thing. Um, I was a bit bit down on Yo at the start of the preseason, but to me, he's kind of more and more forming like that George Hewitt pick of last year. A guy that sort of, you know, maybe hasn't done it for a little while, but, you know, has the great role. Um, I don't think there's really an alternative now either. I think, yeah, that, that price point, you know, we were big on Salem yeah. early in the year, but yeah. again, mm-hmm. with, with his uh, issues, I think, yeah, you kind of have to put a line through him at this point uh, with the wording that's coming out that he may not even be ready for round one. So Yo kind of fits that mid-pricer bill and someone that could potentially, um, of all the picks that I think, be that guy that's in your side for could the stay. majority of the season. Um, yeah. What about those middies? Yeah, talk to the midfield. Nothing really spicy in here because a lot of my premiums have rotated based on news that's come out and what I feel like on a particular day. Yeah. Um, the, the, I guess the constants have been the couple of rookies in Ashcroft and Phillips. I think that they're, yep. if, they're, if they're selected in round one, I think they're going to be in 60, 65% of teams. They, they seem very no-brainer type picks. Yep. And then the other one is um, Dom Sheed as a mid-pricer. I think that he helps 
fulfill my typical midfield structure, which I tend to run as a four premium, one mid price, a three rookie type structure. Has, has that structure been constant? Like the four premiums, maybe a couple of underpriced premiums, a mid price and three rookies. Has that been your yeah. structure the whole time? Yeah, that structure has been there the whole time. And, and Sheed, Ashcroft and Phillips have been, you know, three out of those four at the bottom end that have been there the entire time as well. I, I, I feel pretty confident in that structure. Um, if anything, if I'm looking for more value, it might be one of those premiums that comes down to more of a mid-price or option and, and use that cash to bump someone up somewhere else. I think for me, the mid the, the midfield's been the line that has stayed the same the you, entire season. You haven't tweaked with yeah. the, the I premiums? Think, uh, maybe sometimes I'll go, maybe like like um, Inimong saying, is that big dog down to a slightly lower price. So maybe so it's a steal like, down yeah, to like a bonus or a or a whatever, um, yeah, okay. depending on how comfortable I am with the amount of captains that I have. But in terms mm. of that structure and the players that I'm looking at, that to me, it's it's been the line that's been the, the same the whole season. So okay. um, that just just my my team. I don't know if you, yours is the same, Mini Monk, but yeah, I found that yeah. that's been the constant kind of position. Yeah, mine's been fairly similar in terms of the players that I've been wanting to pick there. It's, it's rotated between quite a few of them and some players haven't been in there at times, but... The structure and, and the way that I'm wanting to lay out my midfield has remained the same basically the entire time. And so I'm, I'm fairly confident that that's the structure that I'm going to go into round one with. But, you know, things change. So we'll see how we go. And the rocks, is it Rowan Marshall yeah. in there? Yeah, Rowan Marshall and, and I guess the other, yeah, one, well. the, other one, <laughs> the other one you could probably say is a 200k bench DPP rookie. Yeah. Like you want someone that's going to have DPP. I'm that's true. Have you got a name line. there? I've, I've got Max Heath right there at R3 for me. I think he plays the last game on yeah. round one. But... What's your go on the red dot at the rookie The line there? Are you big on that, Monk? Or... Um, I think we're just going to be getting one anyways in the rock line. I don't think there's going to be a 200k player yeah. in the rock line or even, you know, rookie-priced Rockman that's going to play. And so you just cop just the go, red dot there and the pick loop. someone that you think might get a a play during the season. If yeah. if there was say say we had a, a player come through in that R three spot that is a green dot, um, like are you are you keen on the the thirty green dots kind of rule, or are you a guy that again with your experience of of DT and and super coach, like do you do you maybe value that red dot as a loophole option to get the the vice captaincy going with the rolling lockout um, these last couple of years? My, my thoughts are that you're going to get a red dot. Basically, anyways, coming into round two, like one of your rookies yeah. is probably going to be dropped. So you want to maximize the the pool that you can be pulling from, but it also depends on the rockman that's coming through. Like, it, let's let's say for example, if Marshall misses round one because he's sick and Heath plays round one, yeah. then Marshall comes back round two. Heath straight out. Are you going to want to be picking? Yeah, he's going to be the first one straight back out. So if that happens with another ruck and they're a green dot, but it's only going to be for one week, are you going to pick them? Yeah, probably not. You'd rather pick someone that you think can get a better crack at it, like. If there's someone that's a backup for a Ruckman and they're the only backup that's there, that might be someone to consider. Someone like Ned Moyle, for example. I was going to say, the Gold Coast Suns, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. That, that's it. It's only him if, if Wits exactly. goes down. If yeah. Wits goes down, Moyle is going to be rucking. So if you're wanting to run Wits in your Ruck line, Moyle might be a nice one to handcuff there with him because if Wits goes down, you've got immediately have someone coming back onto cover. And Because you don't want to be doing like a sideways trade at any point to go like a, a, a Heath over to a Moyle because that's just kind of like a waste yeah. trade. You're not making any cash on that. So exactly. it is it is probably the better way to go. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, is there a line for you? Like I know last year we had the uh, the Nick Martin 130. Like I don't know, I don't know your team at the round one, but if you had the emergency on a player like that, and uh, you wanted to get that score on the ground, or if you had a vice captain go off for 150 in, in week one, is that 
you know, say we have the option for doing 30 green dots, is that a, a something you consider? I was someone that, that got in and Elijah Hollands to you know, what I thought was going to be a, a short-term um, player that would come back in in a few weeks. But um, I, I took that 130 points. Do you think that there's a line for you that means that you'd, you'd try and loop someone onto your ground? I think it depends on the, the um, confidence you have in the rookies that you're picking and the one that you'd be taking off to get that score on. I I also took um, uh, my vice captaincy score because I VC'd, I think it was McRae who went 120 in round one last year and I got a red dot onto the field to do that yep. because I wasn't confident in any of the Tibetan rookies down back. So I picked up Josh Sin who played the next week and yeah, then basically didn't pay for the rest of the well, season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But the logic was that I thought he was going to be coming into the squad very soon, so I was comfortable enough picking him in that manner to be able to get that vice-captaincy score. So, yeah, I think it's a combination of what the player has scored and, you know, what rookies you have available. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Yeah, All right, let's move on to the forward line. Who's uh, who's your lock? And uh, can we get maybe someone other than Dunkley? Can't use that word anymore, Max. <laughs> Sorry. Lock. Well, yeah. <laughs> who's the player that can hasn't say, moved? Can I say Toby McLean? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he's the same in our Let us know about. Let us know about Toby McLean. Yeah. Is um, uh, is there is there a world where you think you're not starting with him? I mean, the only world I can see myself not starting with him if he's not in the best twenty-two in round one. That's, that's a good mm. point. It's a good point. Um, I, I think that he'll. I think that he is best twenty-two. I think that he will. Yeah. Play a role for the dogs. I don't think it's going to be a mid midfield role. Yeah. But he showed, like in the elimination final last year, <sighs> that he can still score well without CBAs. Yeah. So yeah, a player play. that can do that and where there's a pretty clear hole that's coming in because Dunkley's left, I think that that screams enough value at his price point that you can just tuck him away and, I guess, pivot your structure if he's not selected in round one, but pray that he is. We kind of mentioned this on a previous pod as well. It's like, I just don't see a scenario where you really lose on him. If He's so cheap that if... You know, something unforeseen happens. You just go down to a rookie and, and yeah. all, you know, crisis averted. But um, the upside there for him potentially, I said to Mitch, I said, if you've got a guy that doesn't play in the lead up to finals and then gets selected in his first, was it first game for the year? I think it was first game. Yes. First game. Yes. I think first he was an unused yeah. sub at one point. He was playing VFL, oh. so he was good to go. But yeah, but just yeah. first a, game selected. Like from a footballing context, if, if you pick a player for a final in AFL that hasn't played all year, like that shows the confidence that the club has in that player. And if he'd become out and I think he laid nine tackles, um, yeah. that's that's a guy for me. That's one of your first guys picked in your, in your 22. So yeah, I pre- feel pretty confident um, with that one as well. Yeah. No, all, all yeah. good, all good selections there, mate. Um, so yeah, we'll be we'll be obviously monitoring your progress uh, very closely along. And I think um, I think some people I'm not not sure if it's full year or not, but I think some people can get into a league with you as well. Is that correct over on the the coaches panel? Uh, unfortunately, the AF and Supercoach leagues are full, and oh, I'm not okay. sure about the status of the RDT one now. I think it was 14 out of 20 the last time I looked, but. I'll be in some open leagues and around the place as okay. well, and I'll, I'll I'll be sure to update on Twitter when I uh when I've uh, got some rankings coming through as well. Yeah, cool. Well, let 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 the audience know what you've got going on and and where people can find you and uh, yeah, what's your what you've got happening on over on uh, Twitter or the podcasts and and everything else going on for you. Yeah, so I've been doing uh, I'm, I'm joining with the coach panel and been doing some some of the preseason podcasts with MJ and and Rids over there for the fifty most relevant. And I'll be doing some more podcasts with them through the preseason and into the season proper as well. And then I'm also on Twitter at, at Minimog10. And yeah, if you ever want to, you know, hit me up or have a question, just shoot me a message there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, I would definitely highly recommend those who haven't checked out the coaches panel as well, especially those guys who maybe are playing your multiple formats. They they cover mm. all three formats with AFL Fantasy, Supercoach, and Dream Team. Uh, a lot of experienced uh, players and knowledgeable guys on that uh, podcast as well. So, And, uh, of course, if you haven't already checked out the 50 most relevant, you've got, well, 50 podcasts. I think the number one yeah. player was announced today. So yep. if you've got uh, a bit of binging time on your hands, then <laughs> I would definitely go and recommend uh, checking out the coaches panel there. It's a, it's a really good podcast. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. We really appreciate it. We've had a few guests on on now and um, everyone's just so generous with their time and we, we really appreciate that about the community. So thank you so much, especially giving up your time on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, we, we do really appreciate it and um, we'll keep in touch, no doubt. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Thanks yeah, for coming on, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have enjoyed the podcast, make sure you give the video a big thumbs up on our quest for 1,000 subscribers. I think, so if you we're, I think we're close it, to 500. Close maybe. to 500. I think we might even get 500 by the time this uh, podcast comes out. So nice. we're halfway there. Let's get the extra 500, guys. Uh, we would really appreciate if you guys haven't subscribed. Go and do that now. Um, also getting a few uh, reviews and ratings over on Apple Podcasts as well. So if you are keen to let us know your thoughts, go over to Apple Podcasts. Spotify, give us a five-star rating and review there. We'll also be dropping some information about some leagues coming up soon as well. So if you're keen on jumping in a league with both myself and Luke uh, for Classic and potentially Draft as well, um, make sure you stay tuned for our upcoming podcast where we'll reveal a few things on how you can do that. But until next time, guys, thanks for joining and we'll see you next time. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.